You're in the locker room with Tunch and Wolf. Presented by Neighborhood Ford Store. The Ford F-150 is the official truck of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, here's Tunch and Wolf. So we're back. He's Wolf. I'm Tunch. You're in the locker room. And we have a very special guest on our brother, former teammate, uh, played in the NFL for 10 years, nine years with the Steelers, and one year with the Denver Broncos. And uh, he was uh, a four-time Super Bowl champ and uh, pro bowler, J.T. Thomas. J.T., welcome to the locker room, brother. Good morning, my friend. How have you been doing? I've been better than I deserve. And you know what else, J.T.? You can get up there and sing with them guys that we had, uh, you know, and the bumper music coming in, couldn't you? Huh? I know you can. Yeah, I've heard you, you. you. You can sing and you can play the piano. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? You got to have something in your downtime when you're a ball player, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I pretend those uh, keys are people, and that's how I've set my frustration. <laughs> JT, you came into a golden time. When you look at the history of the Pittsburgh Steelers, you were taken 24th overall in 1973. Could uh-huh. you possibly uh, – could you look back and, and say, I, I knew there was greatness coming in 1973 to this organization? I didn't know that the Steelers were even looking at me. I never heard of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I I never got a phone call, a letter, a brochure, a visit. <laughs> <laughs> and so I wasn't thinking about Pittsburgh. I mean, they went on my radar screen. Wow. It was very interesting. No, I, I thought maybe Miami, Green Bay, uh, you know, Dallas. But Pittsburgh, I mean, they hadn't won anyway, so who was looking at Pittsburgh? <laughs> I think uh, my, their first year of winning was my uh, senior year, which was 1972, when Franco arrived. Yeah. So, I mean, they went on my radar screen, and, and they hadn't talked to me. But that show you how, uh, what should I say, conniving and, and still as can be and, and smart. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You know, uh, JT, you told a great story um, when we were at uh, the men's conference up in uh, uh, up north. And you talked about uh, your the 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 players uh, crazy and uh, mature, and you know you know you told that story uh, when you re- you you went over the left to right uh, players. Do you remember that story? You mean in terms of just the uh, the, the the psychology profile of the defense? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, you know, you have to look at that. And what people don't really know, all those guys had Chuck Knowles psychology, if you think <laughs> about it. I mean, I mean, that, that was Chuck. He was, a, he was a, I guess, a conglomerate of all of that. But, yeah, I mean, if you looked at our defense, uh, it was divided in half for the most part. The left side was kind of a calm side. You know, you know, these guys, these are not the guys that went to Roselle office for fighting every Monday. You know, back then you got to fight, you on the fight, you had to go to the office with the commissioner. And they watch you fight. Well, on, the, on our side, you have myself. You know, I'm not going to fight anybody. I'm, I'm smiling at everybody. <laughs> Ham, he just happy to be out there uh, having a good time. Wags, you know, Wags is very studious and serious. <laughs> LC, you know, he's just trying to get out the game. And, you know, and, and, and you know, he's Hollywood. <laughs> uh, the, the, the problem starts as, then, you know, as you get towards, after, after you leave LC, 
you get towards Joe, and then it starts to change. The whole, <laughs> the whole psychology starts to shift. <laughs> I mean, I mean, drastically. Uh, Green, uh, you know, you know, Green spit in people's faces. I mean, when they say he was mean, I mean, I mean that, that was no lie. He was mean. Now, he turned to a nice guy after he drank a few Coca Colas, but. Right. You know, he, he was mean. but um, so it started to transition there, and then you get to the middle linebacker, you got Lambert. Well, Lambert's kind of guy that you probably hired to be assassin, you know, that type of guy. <laughs> I mean, he's that profile. And, and, and obviously Ernie Holmes, you know, it, it's, getting, it's, it's getting deep now. Uh, Ernie, uh, a lot of times in our huddles, we only had a, a 10-man huddle. Ernie was on the line of scrimmage. You know, uh, doing his own thing, and Lambert say, "Get the butt in the huddle." Well, he didn't come in the huddle. Sass gonna run his own plays, and he's talking to the teammates, talking about he's gonna break people's leg. That's how we. A lot of times, we watch the film. You know, Sass on the ball, we in the huddle calling the play. That was it. Dwight White now. Dwight was. He talked three hours. Everybody was holding Dwight. Dwight was. Bitching the whole game about something. He was refereeing, calling people out, talking about people's mama playing the dozens. That was like, <laughs> and and you get in the secondary now. Glenn Eric was in now. Glenn was from FAMU, and we called him Naughty Pine, and he had a form. You know, Glenn had knocked a few quarterbacks out. He had death threats. You know, <laughs> you know, with, he had a secret service on some games because death threats. <laughs> and get you on know, my friend Mel Blunt, who was. Oh. Uh, we called him Soup because he was for Supra. He thought he was actually a thoroughbred. I mean, he just he thought he he was not he was not a real person in his own mind. He was he was Soup. Uh, he would come in instead of uh, letting the trainers wrap his ankles and you know put salves on them. Mel come in with horse liniment on his ankles and, and he called all the trainers witch doctors. So you know, I mean, <laughs> so you know, you kill me. You absolutely kill me, man. I, I mean. Those were the characters, and, and, and it's ironically, we only had one guy that was out of place, Andy Russell. Yeah. Now, now, why Russell? I have no idea, but I think Russell kept the peace. He was the negotiator. He kept people from, you know, really getting kicked out of the game most of the time. He could actually negotiate, you know, with the referee and say, "Ref, he didn't really mean that, you know. Hey, ref, you know, he's a nice guy, you know." So, so that was Russell's role over there. You know, but he was really out of place. <laughs> And you know, um, uh, when when you guys played the Minnesota Vikings in the first Super Bowl, uh, JT, you told a story about Glenn Edwards uh, in the tunnel and screaming at the Vikings. And you said the game was decided right then. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, well, um, uh, I got two episodes, and I'm writing a book called "From the Balcony." But anyway, yeah, in that. Wait a minute! Whoa, 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 whoa! You're writing a book. I've been writing for a couple of years, and then Jim O'Brien been kicking me in the butt uh, every other week about getting the, the manuscript out. To him. What, what's it called? What's it called? It's, called? it's really the title I have right now is From the Balcony, and it's, it's kind of a view of what happened. You know, a lot of times you go to the balcony of life as opposed to the dance floor, you, uh, you see things totally different. All right. And it, yeah, and it's based on an incident uh, at a nightclub called Heaven Downtown, where the incident uh, broke out on the dance floor, two guys, you know, you know, threw a few punches, and we were there doing a promotion, the Steelers. And the cops come in, he's going to shut it down. And, uh, you know, a little guy about five nine with a cigar, you know, say, shut the music off at this club called Heaven. And uh, it did. It got, you know, he screamed loud, and it was so quiet, you hear cockroach pissing in there. But nevertheless, 
eventually, after all these stories on the dance floor, he looked to the balcony, and this young lady said, officer, I saw what happened, you know. And he said, what happened? So we looked up, and she said, well, the dance floor was crowded. And this drunk walked through the, the crowd on the dance floor. He bumped into this gentleman caused a chain reaction. He said, well, where is the drunk? Oh, he left 20 minutes ago. And it gave me a perspective about life. I never forgot that on the dance floor, we love the dance floor because there's a lot of interaction, bumping and grinding. But you go to the balcony, you take all your five senses, most of them out, and you see life a little different. And that's what this book is about, looking at life, and a lot of things happen. I thought one way, but from the balcony, you know, the cataract falls off, and you say, wait a minute, mm-hmm. that may be a contributing factor, but that wasn't the real reason. So it's that kind of book. not a sports book per se, but obviously does involve sports and life in general. Now i got to ask you one thing. Are you going to do a one-man play like Rocky off it? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, mean, <laughs> I haven't thought about that. <laughs> it, 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 like I say, it, it won't be a sports book. It's about life. So, yeah. Okay. you know, yeah. Because it talks about even still as why do we, you know, we really won. You know, we won four Super Bowls. And everybody said great coaches, great players, all these all pros. Those was contributing factor, but there are other aspects that people probably not aware of. Uh, if they hadn't have happened, uh, you wouldn't have had that era. Yeah. But it's, so it's that kind of book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll yeah. we'll push it for you. We'll, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Now you got to tell I, the Minnesota yeah, story though. Yeah. When I'm about ready, you know, I'm working on it partly. Very hard here. <laughs> But let's hear the Minnesota story now. Yeah, yeah the Minnesota story, we've seen the tunnel, you know, right before the introduction, it had been drizzling there in New Orleans, and, you know, the rain and the mist. So what happened, uh, we didn't know this before, but one of Glenn Edwards' former teammates played for the Vikings had refused to speak to him during warm-up. And Glenn was upset about this, but we didn't know, know this at the time. So as we sat in the tunnel for introduction, uh, you know, the Vikings on one side, I mean, it was dreary, and they had beards, you know, and and all of them had these, these water drops in their beard, and they looked like real Vikings. And we're standing there wondering, what the heck are we doing here? We're at attention, and they're about maybe 10 feet away. And the thing about this, these are our idols. You know, when I was in high school, these guys, the purple people eaters. So we're young. We're a young ball club there. And, and these guys here, and they look like real Vikings. They look like giants. <laughs> so obviously we had a 12th man in the huddle. I mean, in line there, in line of, that was fear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and you could, you know, drop a pen in that tunnel. So all of a sudden, you know, and we want to look at them. And all of a sudden, Glenn, there was the last guy to introduce. So Glenn was standing in the back of between both lines with his arms folded. And he, he bellowed out. He asked a question, and he answered the question also. He said, do y'all know what? And everybody looked back. He kind of stalled everybody. He was standing there. And he said, we're going to kick y'all M, F, and F, and A. And all of a sudden, I don't know, something went through the Steelers. Green broke line. You know, he's chewing gum, hacking on his mouth, and he's walking over looking at the Vikings, just looking at them one by one. Uh, Dwight asking guys, is your mama watching the game? (laughs) (laughs) Ernie, Ernie is, you know, talking about, I'm going to break a leg today. I'm going to break a leg. (laughs) I mean, we we all out of order. Lambert is sitting there just hissing like a snake. You know, and, and at that point in time, they looked at us and, and we knew we had them then. We, we hadn't, even, hadn't been introduced yet. 
Mm. But that what broke the thing, and, and we were we were there, so we we knew in the tone we had won that game. Yeah, it, it was no doubt in our mind because That's cool. uh, and Glenn Edwards, I mean, he broke the ice. I mean, and uh, he kind of prophesied what we was going to do, and we broke ranked. <laughs> we got out of line. <laughs> it was noisy. <laughs> and that twelfth man was gone, right? Yeah, the twelfth man left the tone too. Yeah, the twelfth man left the tone. <laughs> That's a great story, man. So, so JT, one of the things uh, with the Steelers was there was many godly men, and you were one of the one of the men that uh, had a positive effect uh, on on me. And you know, we've done a lot of uh, uh, outreaches together, and mm-hmm. we've done a men's conference. Um, you know, uh, how was that team? How did that affect you? Uh, in your love for Jesus? Well, I think what happened, uh, a, a lot of guys on the team, it comes from, you know, especially the guys from the South, they come from a spiritual background. And I think people uh, don't, didn't realize that we're going through a tough time. We just, most of us uh, African-American guys, uh, for a Super Bowl, we less than 10 years off the back of the bus. Uh, we grew up in Jim Crow. We, we grew up in racism. Uh, we mm. grew up in the civil rights movement. So uh, that was there, and that was a... A Christian movement, the civil rights movement was, you know, and definitely being a part of that and just come out of that Christian background. And I think what most guys realize uh, even then that, you know, you're not all that. You know, people look at you, you know, these guys had insecurities, had fears, uh, had no problem with praying. And it was amazing what happened that they, they wanted, you, you know, all these football players and they were humble. And they realize, hey, I'm not all that. Uh, I never forget one of the the, the most uh, alarming. Uh, I'm not I'm not alone, but truth telling images. We were playing the Chicago All Stars. Uh, that's when the uh, World Championship. I think right. our first uh, Super Bowl. We, we played, you know, the All Stars. We we're in uh, Chicago. You know, not a big game. We don't beat these guys. They're college guys. And we had started out to the field before uh, the game and. And someone said, we forgot to say the prayer. And I, I never forget, it was Kobe was, was, was walking out. And when he said that, you know, it was a big bottleneck. You saw 49 guys rushing back because we got to say the prayer. And I mean, I mean in unison, you know. And so that spoke a lot in terms of we're not going out there. <laughs> uh, you know, you would think, now, these guys, big, strong, world champions, you know, let's go out here. No, no, no. They would not go out there. And and they all turned around and rushed back in, and and you know actually to say the prayer. Now now you have to understand. I never prayed a team prayer in my life. I I never prayed when they prayed all those. I never prayed. I did. You probably say, JT, what's wrong with you, right? Well, what happened? <laughs> I figured out years ago that at about quarter one every Sunday you get about what I don't know, thirty some teams plus on their knees praying. <laughs> You got 60,000 fans in every stadium praying. And how many fans in the city praying? There are a lot of folks praying between, you know, 15 minutes, 15 minutes before kickoff. So I thought if I prayed then, it was too many calls going up. So what I would do, I would pray on Wednesday. Uh, so I, I never, because it was just too many phone calls, and I didn't want to get a busy signal there at 5 to 1 for the kickoff. So it was that time. I never prayed a team's prayer. <laughs> 
Yeah, but but you were a very godly man. Uh, oh, yeah. You loved Jesus. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and uh, you know, uh, I, it was a bonding for yeah, that team. Yeah, that because when we came to that team, oh, these yeah. were guys were godly men who they they really. You guys extended yourself to us, us yeah, which was very, very different, very and, not what I expected. And it was very close. The team was very yeah. close. The very, well, very well, close. And, and, and people don't realize that was one of the dynamics that really glued us, right? Uh, more so than anything. Yeah, we we uh, because what it did, we people that that brought us together. Where not only we played together, parted together. We uh, prayed together, mm-hmm. and you don't get that dynamic anywhere in any very few relationships. You think about that, where you know where you play, you know, part and pray together. You don't get it in homes, and that was very unique um, because what happened in that situation, you expose who you are, and I can see you. Yeah. And if I can see you, I can identify with you. But uh, I got a rule called, called the ninety-five percent rule. Ninety-five percent of everybody is the same. The five percent is, you know, taste buds, height, weight, skin color. Well, in the athletic world, that five percent doesn't exist. <laughs> it can't exist on the football field. It doesn't exist. Uh, now, in the real world, that's what we walk around with our five percent, and that's why. And you can never reconcile your five percent with my five percent. That's why we have conflict. Football players, I don't know, subconsciously or just doesn't allow because of the environment. Your ninety-five percent. It's what's out there. You find out that your 95% is just like this guy. Now, he may portray it different, but his fears, anxiety, shortcomings, you see, and he see yours. And you find out, wait a minute, you just like me. And I think if you look at it in terms of this, our country, in terms of race relationship, what has been the catalyst is sports because what stands mimic that behavior, and they unconsciously have mimicked that behavior of athletes and have grown together. So... But because players can have that five percent out there working, it, it doesn't work. It's no, it, it doesn't even fit on fit on the athletic field, basketball course, or, or most team sports. Uh, the five percent doesn't exist, so you're operating with a common denominator. Kind of like in math, you know, fraction. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what the numerator is if you got the you know the right common denominator. And mm-hmm. I think in sports, players see that they feel that, and that's why they they want to play. They hate to retire. It's like a death <laughs> yeah. because they are losing this reality that feels so right and is right. But we don't get that in our, you know, our normal lives. You know? yeah. JT, you know, the one thing I, I think about sports in that time period was Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I always think about the huddle when you're in that mm-hmm. huddle. No, no, nobody's skin color, nobody's background, nobody's right. uh, political beliefs, nobody's mm-hmm. anything. It doesn't matter. In the locker room, it doesn't matter because you're all a team and you're all bonded together. And I think. Well, but you, but, go but, ahead. But you know what? You know what? You know. Yeah. In that that commandment, I think uh, I think uh, they had asked Christ, "What was the, the greatest commandment right. in right. the law?" Mm-hmm. Uh, the teacher, uh, a lawyer, had asked him that question. But, you know, Christ gave us another, I think it's in John, where he said that, you know, that you love your brother the way I love you. Right, yeah, <laughs> unconditionally. 
So I, I call that the 11th commandment. You know? <laughs> in other words, he canceled the 10, canceled the 2, give us 1. <laughs> and right. he say, you love your brother the way I love you. Yeah. By doing so, you show that you are my disciples. Right. Which right. is very popular. So, so that that was under grace, means that, no, I'm not going to love you like, you know, uh, like you love me. That ain't good enough. And you say, you love him the way I love you, which means that I, I never foreclosed on you. Yeah. I don't love you with if-then clauses. Mm-hmm. I love you with those covenantal words. Nevertheless, anyhow, regardless, you know. And, and, and I think that's the challenge there. And I think in, on the athletic field, like Wolf was saying, that's what you have. You don't have that. It, it, it's, it's, no, it's no space for it. It doesn't exist. Yeah. And, 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 and people don't want, that's what makes the game so great. Because yeah. what happens, you do whatever you can to help the guy next to you. Right. It just, I mean, if he's falling short, you don't think about it. It's your fault. No, you, you jump in. Right. You know, you see he's struggling, boom, you do what you can. I mean, it's just a natural thing to do. I mean, defensively out there, we thought, although I'm playing past defense, we thought we should make every tackle. <laughs> right. Every, every every guy thought I should make the tackle, even if across the field. You know, I got to help. I got to help my buddy out. Yeah. So it's that type of uh, connection that you have, and it's it's so uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's all it's, it's unnatural in real life, and yeah. I think and that's why you know um, you can go six seven years and not see a player, a friend, and you go right back to that spot. You know, as if nothing happened in that gap in the gap of time. Yeah. You, relationship. you know, JT, you make a great point. Uh, Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Uh, by mm-hmm. this, all men will know that you're my disciples, that you would love right. one another. But he loved unconditionally, and he mm-hmm. loved sacrificially. And, right. that, and, and you know, uh, to heal this country, we got to love like Jesus. Yeah, we and, gotta, and we don't, unfortunately. Know. Uh, yeah. Even the churches, obviously, we, we've allowed in our churches. Uh, I grew up in the South, you know, and I grew up in racism. I went through the whole integration process, you know. First black football player, Florida State. So, I mean, I've seen a lot. And what used to um, bother me, I would uh, uh, see white churches, white Christians, uh, go to church, and they'll leave church and go to a Klan rally. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I, I think uh, if we're going to change this, Politics won't change. I think the church, and I think the oldest don't white Christians, because what I've seen, and I got a, a lot of uh, white friends that that I deal with here in in uh, a campus ministry called CCO, which is a big campus ministry here. Uh, we got, uh, and we talk about you know the racism in this country, and I think the oldest don't white Christian because what has happened in in the subconscious, uh, they have allowed their theology and racism to exist. And I think it, it, it is so ingrained uh, in the culture. And I think what has happened is that they have allowed their cultural tradition and humanity to define their faith yeah. as opposed to their faith defining their culture and humanity. Yeah. And that has happened. And, and you go over, you know, decades after decades of this, it, it becomes the norm, and you're not really aware of it. And I have a, a lot of, uh, you know, people I'm talking to uh, and um, – that is concerned about that. Well, what is the problem? And and I think the the challenge is is really on white Christians to make this to flip this thing. 
Right. Because and one way you can do it, JT, put make them play football. Get in the locker room. Yeah. Get in the locker room. Oh, get in the locker room. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 but you know what? And, and, and that's what I do. I, I get into a muff and run <laughs> of my white Christmas friends, and, and, and we, we do. And that's because, good. Uh, uh, because I, I do, and I do, because there you, you all the ideology, you correct it, you see it. A lot of times you just don't see it. It's kind of like trying to convince a fish that it's wet. You know, uh, I mean, it's like a frog talking to the fish. The frog says, hey, fish, you're wet, baby. <laughs> no, I'm not. Now, the frog, the frog knows the difference because he lives into an environment like me. And I swim in the water. I got a nice breaststroke, sizzle kick. I, I, I transfer the land. I go into a little hip-hop. So I live in two environments, and, that, and that's the kind of scenario we got here, where the fish stays in, in the water all the time. It's, everything's just benefited his privileges. So he doesn't see what's happening because he hasn't been on land. So, so, and, and it's tough to get them on there. Now, occasionally now. Oh, hey, JT, we're gonna we're gonna have to bring it down. I'm sorry, man. Yeah. We're running out of time here. All right, then. Well, anyway, I I think the onus is is, is really on on the Christian to turn this thing around. I think right. God has left us here to Amen. to turn this thing. I think that's where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we love you, JT. Appreciate mm-hmm. you, bro. We love my, you. My pleasure, man. Hey, love come it. back on and let's hawk yeah. the book when you're yeah. ready. Well, when hey, when you, when you, know, when you, you finish. When you finish the book, we'll uh, push it. Uh, okay, I, I'll definitely let you know, guys. Okay. Right. Thank you so much. God bless you. God I love, bless you, you, buddy. love you, bro. Take care. Take care now. All right, we're going to go to break. Uh, he's Wolf. I'm Tunch, and you're in the locker room.